So last week when Mike Morton was here talking about knowledge and specifically kind of quoting James chapter 1 verses um, 22 through 25, one of the analogies that James uses in that passage is he says that the word of God is like a mirror that we look into and then we see a reflection of ourselves. And, And the thing about looking into a mirror is that we don't always like what we see when we look in the mirror. I know this is going to blow some of your minds, but I used to have like a full head of hair way back in the day. I know, it's hard to believe, but yes, I had hair at one point. But the thing about my hair is that I always hated my hair because I kind of got a mixture of my mom and my dad's hair. And mom has really straight hair, and my dad has really wavy hair. And so what my hair would do is it would go out straight and then it would just kind of wave randomly. And so it was really unmanageable. And so around the sides, like if I let it grow out, I had these wings that kind of went up like this. <laughs> and right here, I had the whole Superman thing going right here where it would come up and it would curl like this. And so real spot like that. And, and no matter what I would do with my hair, no matter how much time I would spend on it, I just couldn't get it right. So finally in college, I started kind of cutting it really short, kind of a buzz cut kind of thing. And I did that for several years. And then gradually as I got older, it just kind of started falling out. A little bit here, a little bit here. And so finally one day, I was actually watching a video of myself waiting across a creek that somebody took from a bridge. And I got a shot right here. Next day I went home, got out the razor. (laughs) Kept this look ever since. But looking into a mirror, it's not always a pleasant thing. And specifically, when we read scripture and we really try to apply what the word is telling us, It can be really difficult sometimes. It can be really difficult seeing the image that kind of bounces out of us, out of the Word of God. And and I say that because as we get into James and as we're talking about spiritual maturity this semester, and specifically like having to teach this stuff, I find myself having to be really honest with my own failures, with my own weaknesses, with my own struggles. And I have to take these weaknesses and I have to teach. I have to, I have to talk to other people about doing things that I myself am weak at sometimes. Let's see. That's the thing. My pre-calculus teacher in high school one time told us um, he taught pre-calculus and he taught algebra one. And he said when he taught algebra one, like before teaching a class, he really he had it down. He really didn't have to go over it at all. It was just something. It was all just so basic to him. He had no problem. But he said when he taught pre-cal, though, and he taught two classes of pre-calculus, he would have to relearn the subject matter each time before he taught it. Because see, maturing, maturity isn't a switch that we throw, but it's a process that we go through. And sometimes it's not even a destination that we arrive and stay at. And sometimes it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of maintenance in doing that. And so kind of as we've been going through the semester, We've been asking that question, what is spiritual maturity? Because that's something that we hear thrown around church a lot. But as I kind of read the study from you at the very beginning of the semester, it's something that we all that's talked about a lot, but it's something that most people don't have a clear definition of. And most churches, most ministries don't have a clear definition or expectations of what that looks like. And so this semester, we're, just going, we're talking about that. We're looking through what spiritual maturity is. And as I mentioned the very first week, maturity in general 
not just spiritual, but physical or intellectual or anything. Maturity is a growth in functionality. It's where you become more functional in a certain area. For example, as we mature intellectually, we go from just kind of being able to observe things to learning, we're able to learn concrete kind of principles and then as we get older, we're able to process more abstract things. So we start off, math is an example. We start off, we're only able to do arithmetic, just very basic kind of functions that we can even kind of tangibly kind of count out three and three here, put them together and count it out to six. As we get older, we can do algebra, we can do trigonometry. I was never good at trigonometry, but some of you guys can do trigonometry. But we grow, we, we grow in how we can function. Or physical maturity, we start off, we crawl, and then we're able to walk. And as we get stronger and more mature, we can run. And then we can run faster. And then we, can, we grow in different kinds of skills that we can do with our hands and our feet. But see, sometimes as we mature, we make mistakes. When we start off walking, for example, we fall a lot when we first start walking. And as we mature, we kind of are able to kind of knock that out. And so just being able to take a few steps and then fall is not a sign of maturity. But rather, when you mature, we should see, we should see growth in that. Although sometimes, even after you mature, you can still fall. For example, on Monday, I was rocking around my house and I hit some ice. Did a dive right on my back, had my backpack on. Not the wind out, got a little whiplash, so I'm really sore. And it's actually affecting my ability to talk, so if like, you can't hear me, just say, hey, speak up, and I will try my best. But yeah, sometimes even as we mature, we still find ourselves falling sometimes. But as, but as we mature, even as we spiritually mature, we should visibly see growth from time to time. I see, I bring all this today because we get into chapter 2 here in James. We're going to be kind of going over something that, even as we all grow, this is one of these things that we just have to be really diligent about because even as we mature in this, it's easy to kind of revert back to immaturity sometimes. It's easy to be walking for a while and then fall. And sometimes we need to pick ourselves back up. And, and throughout chapter 2 of James, which we're going to kind of... Next three weeks, we're going to be doing chapter James and kind of stuff based on chapter 2 of James. And, and James' main point in chapter 2 is that our faith should affect our behavior. Our faith should physically affect our behavior. In the verses 14 through 16, he gives an example. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself and if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And so you look at that example there. Well, this person is in need, and someone comes up to him and says, go, be warm and well-fed, but doesn't do anything about his warmth, doesn't do anything to feed him. What good has that encounter done? What good has that encounter accomplished? What has that accomplished? The man is still cold. The man is still hungry. But it's not accompanied by action. I mean, what, what's the point of it? I remember a few years ago, when I was living in Cincinnati, I was getting ready to head home for Christmas break, and as I'm driving along, my tire is, I found out my tire's flat. 
And so I pull into this gas station that's right by there, and I examine it, and it turns out somebody, I live not in the roughest neighborhood, but a roughish neighborhood, and so cars would get vandalized every once in a while, and I could tell somebody had just taken a knife and just poked my sidewall. So I couldn't air it up, and I couldn't, since it was on the sidewall, I couldn't even use the canned air to patch it back up, take it somewhere. I had to change my tire right there. So I get it all jacked up, get the lug nuts off, and that can be tricky sometimes. And then I go to pull the tire off, and, and it won't budge. Like, no matter how hard I pull, I can't budge. And so, as I'm out there, and it's a pretty busy gas station, and so people kept walking by, and they kept walking by, and they kept giving me comments as they were walking by. But nobody, nobody stopped to help me, no matter how hard I pulled. Somebody even told me that there was a service station up the road, and I should take it up to there, which I can't drive it because it's got a flat tire. So that, that, inf that information was totally useless to me. Sometimes we have a tendency to mean well, but to ultimately be useless in certain situations. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at kind of this, our faith living out in action. And next week we're going to be specifically looking at love and compassion and some just practical ways to love people. And in two weeks we're going to kind of look at the second half of James chapter 2 where he talks about faith and works and kind of that interplay. But tonight we're going to be picking up with a scene that James paints for us here in the opening of this chapter. In the first four verses, he says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the person wearing fine clothes and say, Here, have a good seat for you, but to the poor man, so you say, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so as you probably put it together now, kind of our opening exercise tonight was kind of an illustration of this. And we were actually going to, we talked about having a poor person or going for the worst dress, but I, figured, <laughs> but I figured I'm probably the worst dressed one here and I couldn't figure out how to do that logistically with me having to be up front and having to sit at Kelsey's feet. And so we just scrapped that. But see, this is a common story. This is a common story. See, James was probably writing to several different churches when he wrote this. But there's no... But the story is somewhat specific. And I think the reason that is is because this is something in one shape or another was happening probably to some extent in every church that James is writing to. And even today, this happens in our churches, happens in our ministries. It happens here sometimes. Maybe the specifics aren't quite the same. Maybe it's not a rich person and a poor person. But somehow, some way, in all of our churches, and even here, people come in to the community of God, and for whatever reason, they're not welcomed. They're not welcomed. Maybe it's the way that they look. Maybe it's something else about them. Maybe they act a little bit weird. Or maybe we're just caught up in whatever we're doing to get the service ready. This just happens over and over. And see, and, and I've watched it happen. I've seen it happen here. I've seen it happen in churches I've been involved in. I've seen it happen in churches that I've visited. It's happened to me before. And I think the hardest part for me 
and really looking into this passage tonight is I've been the perpetrator sometimes. I myself have, for whatever reason, not welcomed somebody into our community. And see, here's the thing. We claim, and most churches out there claim, that their group values people. That they value people. But James says that you can't claim to value people if you don't value them equally. And you can't claim to value them if you can't do something as simple as welcome them into your group. And see, a lot of tonight's message came together on Thursday. See, Thursday I have a lot of meetings. It's kind of a meeting day. I have the worship design team at 515 here. Then I have band practice. I have that at 515, 615 I have band practice. 730 I have small group. And then I go out for jerk wings at 10 o'clock. So a pretty busy day. And so during the afternoon, and it all kind of works together, because during the afternoon, I was preparing for the design team and I was looking over this passage. And I see, in doing so, something really struck me. I see, most of our, one of the problems is most of our churches, we take a corporate approach to things. And specifically, when we all talk about wanting to be welcoming, wanting to be loving, and being really kind to people when they come into our assembly. You, any church you've been to, you've probably heard that. I know you've heard it here because, especially on the leadership team, we push this really hard with you guys. And see, here's, here's, here's what really struck me as I was thinking about this. As I was thinking about the motivation behind pushing people to welcome others, or even my own motivation sometimes when I go out and greet new people. And I, I don't... And I end up doing it because, and it's well-meaning, but I do it because, I do it so they'll come back. I'll do it so they'll become part of our group, part of our assembly. We do it for that. And see, what I've realized is that it's very well-meaning, but it's the wrong motivation in doing that. It's the wrong motivation. We should welcome people, not so they'll stick around, not so they'll become part of our group, and not so our group will grow. That's usually the motivation given out. And it, like I said, it's well meant. But we should do it simply because we love them and because we value them. And this should play out far beyond what we do on Wednesday night or on Sunday morning or whatever we get together. Or you get together with any group of Christians. See, people that you come into contact with every day, whether you're sitting next to them in class or you work with them or maybe they're one of your customers or wherever you happen to be at, how do you treat people that you come in contact with? And I think even more specifically, what criteria do you use when you interact with them? What makes you interact with some people and ignore other people? I think that's something we all really need to dig deep and look at. Because as James says, if we truly value people, if we truly love people like God does, we have no such criteria. We welcome them. We're kind to them. We greet them regardless. Now see, James goes on to say, pick it up in verse 5. He says, Listen, my dear brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now see, look at this passage. 
it's pretty clear that James has read Matthew chapter 5. Pretty clear. Okay. So actually Matthew hadn't been read in, written yet when James was probably writing this. And so he, he probably hadn't read Matthew chapter 5. But he was familiar with the material. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And one part of it, you kind of hear from, is the Beatitudes. And Matthew, pick it up, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will seek God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And see, all those people that he mentions there, those are all people who would be taken advantage of because of something in their personality, whether it's poor people because they don't have money and they're desperate and they need help. People can take advantage of that. Or people who are mourning. Or meek people. Very easy to take advantage of them. People who are merciful are often not shown mercy back to them. And it's often seen as a sign of weakness. But see, Jesus and James kind of reiterates this. That God has chosen these people. These are the people that Jesus came ultimately to protect. And I think one of the, James, one of the issues that James happens with the treatment of the poor or with other people that he has here, is that people can be treated like that anywhere. And they do get treated like that anywhere. And the church and the people of God are the ones... That's the place where it's supposed to be different. That's where they're supposed to come to find acceptance. That's where they're supposed to come to find help. That's where they're supposed to come and not be taken advantage of. That's where they're supposed to come and that their overall value is affirmed. And Jesus also says later on, another thing in chapter 5 from the Sermon of the Mount, it reminded me of what James is saying here. Let's pick it up in verse 42. Actually, we're going to take it from 46. He says, if you, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only the others, or excuse me, didn't read that right. If you greet only your brothers... What are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I see something else that Jesus is saying, and I think James is kind of getting at, is when we love people who are easy to love, when we love people who look like us, or that we can get something from, or who are just easy to hang out with, easy to deal with, what, what good is that? Everybody, everybody loves people who are nice to them. Everybody loves people who look glamorous. Everybody loves people of high stature. That's not who we're called to love. We're supposed to call people who, whose value isn't always readily ev evident to people, who aren't always treated like they're valuable. We kind of, in, in a small group meeting on Thursday night, kind of some of the stuff that we were talking about kind of fit really neatly with the stuff that I was kicking around in James. And one of the people in my group, in our group, was talking about dandelions. I see the thing about dandelions. When I was a kid, I always thought dandelions were flowers. 
And so we go out and we pick them like flowers. And we use them like flowers. And I give them to my handful to my mom. And I'm just so proud of myself that I picked her from flowers. It wasn't until later on in life that I found out that dandelions aren't flowers at all. They're actually weeds, apparently. And so somehow, some way, we have these weeds that look like flowers. And I mean, there's a whole industry out there. There's all these chemicals that you can buy to kill dandelions and to get them out of your lawn. And so it's just, it's just interesting that there's, there's this difference in perspective that some people look at a dandelion and they see something beautiful. They see a flower. And other people look at a dandelion and they see a weed, something that's messing up their lawn. But see, here's the thing about dandelions. Either way, they have value. I looked up dandelions on Wikipedia, and it turns out that they're pretty awesome. They are. Did you know the dandelions, dandelion leaves, contain an abundant amounts of vitamins and minerals, especially vitamins A, C, and K, and are also a good source of calcium, potassium, and they have fair amounts of iron and magnesium, higher than similar leafy, leafy greens such as spinach. They contain 15% protein and 75% carbohydrates, 37% of which is fiber. That's a pretty good ratio. The leaves also contain similar amounts of over two dozen other nutrients and are a significant source of beta-carotene. Lutein, which I don't even know what that is, Another word that I can't pronounce. <laughs> yeah. A cup of dandelion leaves contains 112% of your daily recommendation to vitamin A, 33% of vitamin C, and 535% of your daily value of vitamin K, 218 milligrams of potassium, 103 milligrams of calcium, and 1.7 milligrams of iron, which I don't know if those numbers are good or bad or not. Dandelions are also an excellent source of vitamin H, which I didn't even know there was a vitamin H. So I guess, I, which is proven to aid in weight loss and indigestion. You can make wine out of dandelions. And it turns out dandelions are also an excellent antioxidant. You can make coffee out of dandelions, which actually has a healthier form of caffeine than you would find in regular coffee. Dandelions have medicinal uses. They make a good anti-inflammatory drug. And they do something else too. I can't remember what it was. I didn't get it in my notes. Well, see, dandelions, this supposed weed that we have, is actually very useful. And if we have the right perspective, they're also very beautiful. And I think sometimes we look at people with the wrong perspective. We see people and they don't obviously... See, I think one of the reasons that dandelions are considered weeds is they don't conform to how we want our garden or our lawn to look. See, we like things in our lawn and garden to be very controllable. And to be, we want things exactly a certain way. And we want the grass a certain length. And we want our garden planted with arranged in a certain way, and dandelions don't work like that at all. Dandelions just kind of pop up wherever they want to, and they multiply really rapidly. And so that's why, that's why I don't like it. 
And I think we look at people, and sometimes they don't conform into our neat image of what's of what people should be like sometimes. And I think also we've had this image created by people who want to sell you stuff of what a valuable person is supposed to look like. We've we've been sold this image of what beauty looks like or this image of I don't know just what a great personality, what a real personal person is supposed to be like. We've had this just pushing our brain. I don't think we realize sometimes that this isn't something that's inherent in us. This is something that we've been, that's been reinforced over and over. It kind of goes back, I think, to James was talking about in the second part of the passage where he said, is it not the rich that are exploiting you? See, this image that's been created to us exploits us. It's actually created to make us feel bad so that we'll go out and buy the products they're trying to sell. And the crazy part is, even though it makes us feel bad, we perpetuate that image sometime. We, we affirm the value of that image even as it's destroying us and we allow it to destroy other people. But I think as Christians, I think as followers of Jesus, we're called to look past that. We're called to ignore that. We're called to be countercultural. We're called to reject that and to see the value in every person, to not look at any people as weeds, but to see the beauty in all people, to see the value in all people. And so as a wrap up tonight, I'm going to be kind of, I have a video that's kind of about Danny Lyons. And actually, it's not really, it's, it's, it's a really cool artistic video. It doesn't have a lot of depth to it, but I have some it's a cool video, though. And also, just have some reflection questions that as that's going, just kind of be reflecting on. And so, as you guys can the video, I'm going to pass these out. And Kelsey, your reign as the chair of honor is over because it's very unscriptural to treat you like that. So, so Spencer, you're off the hook. All right.